Well, good morning, my friends. Welcome to Restored for Life with Please Pastor Ben Harris, your Bibles to the John senior pastor chapter at Restored Community we will Church, begin where God's perfect word 19. restores imperfect we people. We left off last Here's week. today's message from Pastor with Ben. Mary going to the tomb to wrap more spices around the body of Jesus, her Lord and her friend, her teacher. But when she arrives, she finds the tomb is empty. She runs to the disciples who are still hiding out. They are in fear of being arrested like Jesus and perhaps being even crucified. She runs to them and tells Peter and John that, hey, somebody has stole the body of Jesus, and we don't know where they took him. So Peter and John run to the tomb. Of course, they discover the same thing. And the two of them consider what happened. It says, at this point, John believes. Well, they decide to go back into hiding, and Mary lingers at the tomb and Because she did, she was given an amazing blessing that morning. She got to see two angels in the tomb. And then, of course, she got to meet the Master, the risen Savior, face to face. And so she takes off running again. She's got to go tell the guys who are still hiding out in the upper room. And she tells them, but it doesn't seem to make a lot of difference to them. The disciples were still hiding out. She told them what Jesus had told her to take to them that he is risen, that he was returning to his father and their father. We learn that Thomas is absent. He had left for some reason and wasn't there to hear Mary's announcement. The disciples in the upper room didn't seem to be as excited as we think they should be. Someone, though, who's had an encounter with Jesus and the risen Savior can't hide it. It's written all over Mary's face. It's in her testimony that he's alive. My question to you this morning is this. Have you had an encounter with Jesus? When you encounter him and make a decision to believe and receive the gift that he purchased for you on the cross, when he bled and he died for your sin and for mine, you just can't keep it to yourself. Let's look at a few of the ways that it transforms that we see from our passage this morning. Number one, his hope transforms us from cowards to courageous. Verse 19. Then the same day at evening, this is still Resurrection Sunday, Sunday night. Then on the same day at evening, being the first day of the week when the doors were shut, where the disciples were assembled for fear of the Jews. Jesus came and stood in their midst. Isn't it interesting that John will point this out twice, that the doors are shut, and then all of a sudden, in their midst, Jesus appears. And then Jesus says to them, Peace be with you. It appears that from the very first day of the resurrection and moving forward, that the followers of Jesus begin to meet for worship and fellowship on the first day of the week, or what we call Sunday, And who could blame them? Their risen Lord, their risen friend, had come back to life on this day, just as he said he would. And it was a wonderful celebration of the earliest believers. In fact, after seeing Jesus, their hearts, we're told, were full of gladness on that Sunday night. Verse 20, when he had said this, shalom or peace, he showed them his hands and his side. Then the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. You know, we have called Thomas Doubting Thomas, and and perhaps he deserves that a little bit. But I think all of them were doubting at this point. 
They're held up in a room. They're scared. And Jesus appears and says, Peace be unto you. And then the Lord showed them His palms. Shows them where the spear went in His side. I think they were just as unbelieving as Thomas, although he gets all the, you know, the bad credit for it. So how does this hope that they now have, they've seen the risen Savior, they've put their hands in His side, they've seen His palms, they rejoice. They've gone from cowards now to courageous. And eventually, not just in this moment, but in a couple of weeks, in a matter of weeks, they're going to go out and begin to spread the gospel and share Christ with people. They're going to proclaim that Jesus is alive again. You know, they've taken their Lord out for a lot less than that. And Peter is going to proclaim to the people that did this, that were shouting in the crowd, crucify him. He's going to point out that Jesus was crucified by you. The Messiah came and you crucified him. He's going to have, where does this come from? Well, he's gone from being a coward to having a lot of courage. Here's how. Through believing in Jesus and in allowing him through God's word to work in their hearts. The power of the word, it can't be overstated. It transforms lives. Mark tells us later on that Jesus came to the eleven and rebuked them for not having believed Mary's witness of seeing Jesus alive. He rebuked their unbelief for their hardness of heart. How were these young men changed, though, into the courageous leaders that we read about in Acts? Well, it's by spending time with their Messiah and by yielding their lives to His plan and His purpose for each one of them. It's interesting that Jesus greets these fearful young men with a traditional word, shalom, which means peace, rather than immediately chastising them. The work that Jesus did on the cross brought peace, not condemnation, to all who will receive it. Paul wrote in Romans 5.1 of this, he says, Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. His pain brought our peace. We were enemies of God, we're told. We were separated by sin. We could not reach Him on our own. There's nothing we could do on our own to reach God because we were sinful. And God can't look upon sin. So He sent His Son down to do the work on the greatest rescue mission that mankind will ever know. Jesus came down and He purchased our forgiveness. He purchased our righteousness. I love that the Master allowed His disciples to see and touch His wounds Later on, this would dispel any reasonable doubt and prove that his body was still a physical body. Jesus was not a ghost, as some would assert, after he returned to the Father. When Jesus saw that their cowardice had turned into courage, he commissioned them to go out and spread the gospel. Verse 21, so Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. Jesus' mission was to bring the truth from His Father into the world. The truth that God loves us. That He sent His Son down to pay for our sin. And that through our belief and faith in Jesus, we could be restored to the Heavenly Father. Now it was our turn. 
Jesus was about to return to his father and it would be up to spirit-led men and women to share the good news of forgiveness and restoration that was just a decision away. In Matthew 28, Jesus told us to go make disciples, to baptize them afterwards, and then to teach them everything that Jesus had taught the disciples. So that's the model of this church. We go out and we reach people with the gospel. We tell them of the good news, and when they place their faith in Jesus, then the next step is to get baptized. And then the third thing is get discipled. Learn everything that Jesus taught his disciples. We've kind of boiled that down to 13 lessons that Jesus taught his disciples while he was alive. We teach those 13 lessons to believers so that they can then go out and teach somebody else. It's absolutely mind-boggling to consider that Jesus loves us as much as the Father loves his Son. And that we're as connected to the Father as Jesus is connected to his Father. It's humbling to consider that just as the Father sent His Son into the world, He said, now I send you to go into the world with the same good news that Jesus lives. What an amazing mission that we have. We have a purpose for life. I think I've said this before, that um, years ago I read an article that said, the number one Google thing at midnight is this question, what am I here for? Wow. Wow. I can't imagine going through life not knowing why you're here, not having a purpose. Don't you want to know why you're here? Because when we meet Jesus, you're going to want to have done what He told you and I to do. Can you imagine how these young lads felt when they considered what their Master was telling them? The Master was returning to the Father, and now they and every believer, you and I, all the way up to today, would be entrusted to carry out that awesome weight of the mantle of going and telling the world about Jesus, about the good news, about God's love for mankind, a love so great that it would compel Him to send His Son down to us, knowing in advance what would happen to Him. Can you imagine their emotions or a kind of mixture of excitement and maybe a little fear? They knew they were flawed. They knew that alone they could do nothing, but with Jesus in them, they would move mountains. You want to know how how they move mountains? Just read the book of Acts time and time again. Man, these guys, they go from these scared little boys in an upper room to these powerful disciples and apostles, not afraid to preach the word. Verse 22, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, receive the Holy Spirit. I think of the Creator breathing into Adam's lungs and man came alive. And now Jesus was breathing new life, the Holy Spirit, into these first believers and they came alive. And just as God breathed physical life into the first man, Adam, Jesus breathed spiritual life into the first believers, His followers. And this would empower them to do many great and powerful things. And when you become a follower of Christ, that same spirit that Jesus breathed into the lives of these disciples has been breathed into you. How could these first century believers proclaim the risen Savior in the face of certain death? Well, they were filled with the Spirit. How is it that they would be led out 
as entertainment so that lions would tear them apart. How could they stand there and still shout, Jesus is alive. Jesus is Lord. Jesus is the Messiah. All the while, the lions are attacking them because they had the Holy Spirit living in them. And you can do great things when you have the Spirit. How could these young followers powerfully proclaim the gospel to kings and to rulers and governors? Well, they had the Spirit of God in them. We read about two of them going and being told by the Pharisees, stop preaching Jesus. And they said, well, hey, here's the deal. I'm paraphrasing. Whether it's, whether it's right or wrong to you, we are going to continue. We can't help but, but tell the world that Jesus is alive. So they beat him, and they gave him another warning to knock it off. And they released him. And they look at each other, and they say, how are these common fishermen, uneducated men, how are they able to speak so powerfully and so intelligently? And then Scripture says they remembered, ah, they had been with Jesus. The more you're with Jesus, the more powerful your witness will be. You want to spend time with the Lord every single day because without Him, well, we can do nothing. Verse 23, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Verse 24, now Thomas, called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, and in the Greek, not only said to him, but it means they kept saying to him over and over, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see his hands, the print of his nails, and put my finger into the print of the nails, and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Where was Thomas that first Sunday night when they were meeting? The other ten are there. Was he hiding out? alone had fear overtaken him had his doubts gotten to him scripture doesn't tell us but i believe all three are probably likely so we've seen number one how hope the hope of christ transforms us from cowards to courageous and now we'll see how number two the hope his hope transforms us from doubter to declarer Verse 26, and after eight days, now this is the following Sunday, they counted the day that you would, you would count that day, that was Sunday. Eight days forward is still the next Sunday. His disciples were again inside, probably the upper room, and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst and said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands. And reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, My Lord and my God. Pay careful attention to Jesus' words here. We call this disciple doubting Thomas, but doubt is not what Jesus corrects here. Jesus says, don't be a doubter. He says, don't be an unbeliever. There's a difference. The Lord rebukes Thomas for his unbelief. Doubt is an intellectual struggle that often begins with a lack of evidence or information. But Thomas had been given plenty of both, a.k.a. his ten friends, and yet he chose unbelief as his response. Unbelief here is saying, I don't want to believe. They kept telling him, Thomas, we've seen him. 
We put our fingers in the, in the hole here where the spear went. It's the Lord. And he kept saying, no, I'm not going to believe unless I get to see him. Jesus said, do not be unbelieving, but believing. Listen, my friends, the world doesn't have a doubt problem. It has a belief problem, as in a lack thereof. There's plenty of evidence. Most people want to be their own God at the end of the day and reject the very thought of having to answer to a creator. They will not be ruled. They will rule themselves. And that's actually at the bottom line there. It's not that there's a lack of evidence out there. There's plenty of evidence to believe. On Judgment Day, it won't be doubters being sentenced to an eternity in hell. It'll be those who have had plenty of evidence to believe and yet chose unbelief as their response. Paul tells us in Romans 1, verse 18, For the wrath of God is revealed from heaven against all ungodliness and unrighteousness of men who suppress the truth in unrighteousness. Because what may be known of God is manifest in them, for God has shown it to them. For since the creation of the world, His invisible attributes are clearly seen, being understood by the things that are made, even His eternal power and Godhead, so that they are without excuse. Because although they knew God, they did not glorify Him as God, nor were thankful, but became futile in their hearts, in their thoughts, and their foolish hearts were darkened. Professing to be wise, they became as fools. One day God will judge each unbeliever, not for having doubts, but for having clung to their hearts of unbelief, in spite of there being overwhelming evidence. Believer, don't proclaim to be a believer while living as if Christ doesn't exist. The two don't go together. Have believing hearts and not unbelieving hearts. It's okay to have questions and doubts. I regularly struggle with different things. But God's Word has, has answers. And we're exo- exhorted to go find them and believe in the God who saved us. There's plenty of evidence out there. Are we willing to go find it is the question. And I realize that some of the answers that we find don't quite, you know, reach the itch. They don't scratch the itch as much as we'd like. But at the end of the day, we have more than enough evidence to believe in God, to believe that he sent his son, Jesus, who came down to earth, went on a cross to pay the debt that you and I could not cover. So what about you? Have you declared your belief in Jesus as Thomas had? My Lord and my God, have you laid claim to the gift of grace and forgiveness that he's purchased for you with his blood on the cross? If not, do it today. As I say often, it's too dangerous to leave this room if you don't know where you're going to spend eternity. It's too dangerous to do that. It would be foolish for you to leave this room not knowing that you have repented, which means to turn around, done an about face. At one point, we were all pursuing the world. We were all pursuing the flesh. But at some point, we had an encounter with Christ that caused us to do an about face and come to Him and follow Him. If you haven't had that moment, I would encourage you not to leave the room today until you know where you're going after this life. So number one, the hope of Christ transforms us from cowardice to courageous. 
Number two, his hope transforms us from doubter to declarer. And number three, his hope transforms from grave to saved. Verse 29, Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. And truly, Jesus did many other signs in the presence of his disciples, which are not written in this book. This isn't an exhaustive book of everything that Jesus ever did, John is saying. But these are written that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ. Christ means Messiah, the Son of God, and that believing you may have life in his name. John, as he's coming to a close in his book, there's just one more chapter. But towards the end of this, he just wants to proclaim the power of Jesus just one more time. He is God. And that believing in Him, we can have everlasting life. One of the key words in the Gospel is that word, believe. That's kind of one of the primary words of this entire book. In fact, the word is used over 90 times just in these 21 chapters. It's important to note that while many of the early disciples got to see Jesus with their own eyes, seeing isn't what saved them. Salvation is found in believing in Jesus, placing our trust and faith in Him. It'd be an awesome experience to lay our eyes on Jesus this morning and witness Him perform a miracle, perhaps healing somebody that was lame or or otherwise. It, it, It would be chilling to see Him raise somebody from the dead. Boy, I'd love to see that. But saving faith doesn't come from merely seeing Jesus and what He's done. Saving faith takes it a step further and seals it up with a believing heart. Romans 10.17 says that this belief comes from God's Word. So then faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. Faith comes by hearing and hearing by the Word of God. That means you've got to be in the Word. You've got to hear the Word for you to believe Some might say they would believe in Jesus if they could just meet Him and and see Him perform a miracle, then they would believe. But we've already read how thousands perhaps followed Jesus for a while, wanting to watch what the next miracle would be. They had seen Him perform several miracles, and yet the moment came when they all left Him. Jesus could see that their hearts were unbelieving, and they left Him not believing while still in their sin. Later on in his life, John wrote letters to the church, and he would remind them of their salvation and how they had received it, and these letters would be passed around the various churches. We know this letter in particular here is 1 John. In chapter 5, he wrote, if we receive the witness of men, the witness of God is greater. No matter what men tell you about God, what God has said is greater. His word is the final word. For this is the witness of God which He has testified of His Son. He who believes in the Son of God has the witness in Himself. He who does not believe God has made Him a liar because He has not believed the testimony that God has given His Son. And this is the testimony, here it is, that God has given us eternal life and this life is in His Son. He who has the Son has life. And he who does not have the Son of God does not have life. 
These things I have written to you who believe in the name of the Son of God that you may know that you have eternal life. So many other religions, practically all of them that I can think of, you can't know that you have eternal life. You'll find out when you meet God. (laughs) I don't want that. I want to know now that I have faith and grace. I want to know now that... I believe and that, ha- that I have secured eternal life. And that's why John said, this is why the book was written, that you may know you have eternal life and that you may continue to believe in the name of the Son of God. Simply saying, yeah, I believe Jesus existed. Yeah, I believe that. Well, so do the demons. What has to change? Well, you have to place your faith. You have to believe in what he said and what he did with his life. It's not enough to believe in Jesus. The question is, what do you believe about him? What we believe about Jesus isn't just important. No, it's of utmost importance and urgency. It's the one thing in this life that you want to get right, and it's all that will matter when you die. It's the only question that will be answered at the moment of your death. What did you do with Jesus? What did you believe about him? Did you place your faith in him? And for those that have believed, when we get to heaven and look back on this world, we'll realize the greatest single decision mankind can ever make and that we ever made was that moment when we chose to turn from sin and turn towards Christ and that free gift that he offered us. Because that's all that's going to matter in that moment. What do you believe about Jesus? And what have you decided to do about the offer that he's given to you? Listen, my friend, you have an opportunity this morning. If you have not placed your faith in Jesus Christ, you have the opportunity to do so and to seal your eternity forevermore right now. Restored for Life is a radio ministry brought to you by Restored Community Church. Visit RestoredCommunityChurch.org to learn more about Pastor Ben Harris and for service times. Join Pastor Ben next time as we set out on a journey to discover the authentic life as Christ followers through obedience to His Word.